Let's pray as we prepare to get into God's Word this morning. Father, we thank You for being able to rejoice with You for Your presence here. We thank You, Father, for everything that's been done. We, just, we thank You for our brother Lewis's 80 years. We just thank You, Father, for him. And we thank You, Lord, now as we turn your, our attention to Your Word. You have given to Your church, to Your people, what we need. You've given us Your Word and You've given us Your Spirit. And Lord, we turn our hearts and attentions to those this morning. Because just as Jesus spoke, wrote in the book of Revelation, the Spirit is saying something to each church. We believe of all our heart, Father, He's saying something to us here at Faith Christian Center. So may we have eyes to see, the eyes of our heart to see, ears to hear and hearts to grasp, receive and understand what the Spirit is saying to us personally today and what the Spirit is saying to this church today. And for that, we look to the grace of the Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. We thank you for this time, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24. We were talking, we began this year talking about seasons, seasons of life, seasons in a church, seasons in the church itself. And then last week we began to transition from that subject into the next obvious subject, which is the transition, the last message we did in seasons was about transitioning into the last season, which is when you leave this earth, this life, this body, and you move into the next life. And then last week we began to talk about that, because this series is called, Are You Ready? And we, we started with this series last week by talking about eternity, what eternity is. Because we live all of our life until you really begin to renew your mind to what the Word of God says, all of our life with a perspective of just this life. And that's really all we know unless you've had some supernatural experience where all you know is you were born at some point because you know that because you're alive today. You, you are alive today, aren't you? you? Anybody here that wasn't born? Okay, all right. Um, but you may not know anything about it other than what your parents have told you, but you know you were born. And we know because we see others pass on that there's going to come a time when we die. We leave this earth. We leave this body. But we very, very, spend very little time of our life focused on that. And yet, you're only going to spend 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90, 97, 100 years here. And from here, we move into eternity. And yet, we spend all of our time, all of our energy, all of our money, all of our worry, all of our... We devote all, everything we have in most cases, except Sunday morning and Wednesday night. We devote everything we have to these, what's really going to be 30, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years here with very little regard to where we're going to spend eternity. And we talked last week about changing that perspective, which is what, this is why Paul was so successful. This is why the early church was so successful, because they were not focused on this world other than this is an assignment that I have from God, and when the assignment's done, I'm out of here. And so they were able to go through the things that they went through with a very different perspective. But we live in a time when the world is very me-oriented. It's very, what do I get out of this? And that is not just seeped into the church, it's blown into the church like a windstorm. And the church has become very much the same attitude as the world has, except we just come to church, we give tithes, we do good deeds, and we do those things. And the result is the church is very weak right now, especially in the United States. We have John here from, uh, from Germany, and he, the, things are going on in Germany. When he was here and spoke several Wednesday nights ago, we talked about some of those things. There are wonderful things going on in other parts of the world, but the church of Jesus Christ in the United States is very weak. We're very, we're very comfortable. We're very selfish. We're very me-oriented, blessed-oriented, really very much like the world, and in many cases, people coming here won't see much difference between the world and us, except we come to church, we wear nice clothes, we raise our hands, we act a little funny on Sunday morning, but the rest of the, world day, we, the, rest of the week we live just like everybody else. And so God wants to wake us up to this. Not because He's angry at us, because He wants to wake us up. So we're going to hear some truth this morning. You ready for some truth? Can you handle the truth? <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> Praise God. So we, we ended with this last week. This is, this is a section of Scripture where Jesus is, is, is answering a question. And he's challenging the disciples. He's answering a question. And then they're asking, well, when is the end going to come? And he's giving them the signs of the times. We saw last week that he doesn't tell them when it is because only the Father knows. 
Only the Father knows when he's coming, Jesus is coming back. Even Jesus doesn't know. Only the Father knows. So we talked about, you know, prophet doodad and sister, what's the man call it? If Jesus doesn't know, they're not likely to know either. But we're to know the signs of the times. And all you've got to do is look at the news every day and realize things, things are going the wrong direction. Why? Because Satan is getting more and more a grip on this world. But that's when the church is to shine as a glorious church. And we'll talk about that down the road. But we're just going to pick up here in verse 42. What Jesus says to them out of all this. Watch therefore, because of all I've said before, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this. So we don't know. So we spend a lot of time, people spend a lot of time speculating on something the Bible tells us you can't know. And as a result, we don't spend much time on doing what he says to do as a result of that. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that the Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So what Jesus is telling them and he's telling the church, don't get hung up on aspects of this <clears throat> you're not going to get an answer to. Because people get into theological debates. Is the rapture going to come before the tribulation? Is it going to come in the middle of the tribulation? Is it going to come after the tribulation? And there's scripture to support all three of those views. There's even a view out there that there's more than one rapture. There's a rapture for certain people that are ready, and there's a later rapture for people that, that later get ready. There are all kinds of those theories out there, and there's scripture to support them all. But while we're debating all of that, we're not doing what Jesus said to do as a result. What he's saying here is you can't know when he's coming, but what you can know is you need to be ready because you don't know. Because if we knew, if God spoke from heaven and there was a sign literally in heaven saying Jesus is coming back on March 6, 2017 at noon, what would you do? You'd get ready. But if he said Jesus is coming back March 6, 2022... I got time. You know, I can go do what I want to do. And as I get closer, I can begin to get ready. So what Jesus is saying here is because, because you don't know, be ready. Because you don't know. And what happens is because we're human, when we keep get our eyes off of that, we become complacent because yesterday was fine and the day before that was fine. I mean, every day I've... <laughs> Here's a profound statement. Every day that I've lived, I've awakened. So I assume tomorrow's going to be just like today. But Jesus is saying, no, there's coming a day when it's not like today. Suddenly things are going to change. He talked earlier about people go buying and selling. They have children. All these things, normal activities of life. And they assume because everything's always been normal like that, it's always going to continue. But it's not. So what should we do? Be ready. And so that's where we're beginning to talk about what does it mean to be ready? We've looked at eternity. That's what we're to be ready for. We've discovered, and we're going to begin to look in more detail, that, well, you say, well, I'm going to heaven, so I'm all set. But, but what you do here determines what you're going to do in heaven. So it's not just, as Pastor Sam would say, it's a life insurance policy, and whew, I made it in by the, you know, by the skin of my teeth, and there's, you know, my coattails are still smoking because I barely made it in. Wonderful. Now you're there. You've got eternity to live with how faithful you were here. And we talked about some of that last week. We're going to get into more of that as we go down the road with this. But we're going to go back kind of to the beginning, the most important thing, the most important aspect of being ready. So let's to do that, let's go over to Mark, Matthew 13. Any of these scriptures, you could take sections of it and just really dwell on. Matthew 13. Say this with me this morning. I love... The truth. <laughs> so I was going to say me, didn't you? I'll do that towards the end. <clears throat> John, in his third, third gospel, third letter, uh, one of the scriptures we know so well, he talks about, you know, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even if your soul prosper. But then he goes on to say, but I'm thrilled because I hear you're walking in truth. Walking in truth. God is a God of truth. And so we need to be willing to hear the truth spoken in love and Ephesians 4 says, the church, we grow as Christians as we hear the truth in love. Truth alone will kill. 
Love alone without truth will let you be sloppy and walk. And this is what's happened to the church. But the truth in love is what helps us to grow, but only to the extent that you'll hear it. And this is what we're going to see. Matthew 13, verse 24. Another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But when the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted up and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then did you have, does it have tares? And he said to them, The enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? Verse 29, But he said to them, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat from them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to be burned them, and then gather the wheat into my barn. Now we're going to skip down to verse 36, because he gives two other parables. And now he's going to explain the parable of the tares. Jesus then sent the multitudes away and went into the house. Ever notice this? I mentioned this before. How often it's in it's in Matthew, uh, starting in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew five. There's a number of other parables. Matthew thirteen, earlier where Jesus shares a parable. Parables a story like we just read, and then he lets the multitudes leave, and then his disciples come and ask him what it means. And I don't believe it's because Jesus didn't want to share the truth with the multitude. He just shared the parable, and whoever wanted to hear would come and ask him. And that's what happens on Sunday morning. We hear the Word of God, and those who really want to hear it will open their, eye, open their heart and pursue it, and then once we leave here, we'll begin to talk to God. What did that mean? How do I apply that in my life? We've looked before at the last several verses of Ezekiel, I think it's 33, where he says to them, well, by the way, prophet, when they come to listen to you, they love to hear you. And then they talk in the marketplace. Wasn't that a great message? But they don't intend to do what they hear. So, modern paraphrase, it's no different than going to a good movie or going to a good concert. They enjoyed hearing the Word, but they never intended for it to impact them and change. And so we've talked about to come to church without the intention, to read the Word without the intention of that Word changing you, you might, it's as good as going to a nice concert. It's as good It's coming to be entertained. And the Bible talks in the last days, people are going to want to have their ears tickled. I want to hear what I want to hear. It makes me feel good. But it's truth that sets us free. It's the hearing and receiving of the truth that sets us free. So here Jesus, His disciples come to Him. When Jesus sent the multitude away, He went into the house and His disciples came to Him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, the reapers of the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered up and burned in the fire, so will be the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and who practice lawlessness, we'll see that down the road, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want to start by saying that there are people out there in the world that don't believe there's a hell and don't believe there's a heaven. What's disturbing to me is there's pastors out there teaching it. There's a major church that's taught, I don't know where they are today, but in the last few years they've taught, well, there really isn't a hell. And the reason there is not a hell, I may get off track here, but that's okay. The reason there's no hell is because God is a good and loving God. Therefore, God would never really send anybody to hell because He loves us so much. So all He's done is put a hell in the Bible to kind of startle us and scare us, but he doesn't really mean that. First of all, that's manipulation. Jesus said about his father, using 
Parents, as an example, if your son comes and asks you for a loaf of bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If he asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent. In other words, he doesn't play games with us. He's straightforward. He is truth. And so for God to do that is to manipulate us. So he's telling us something he knows not true just to kind of give us an incentive. And the scary thing about that, how does this happen? It happens because man starts teaching his own ideas, first of all, based on the Bible, and then he steps away from the Bible and starts extrapolating. He starts reasoning from what the Bible says to his own conclusions. Did you follow me in that? Because I'll say it over here. So man start, man start out well. See, here's the... Here's, I'm speaking, first of all, this morning to people that aren't born again. But I'm also speaking to people that are born again because we need to check ourselves. Also because there may be people in our lives that we know aren't born again. And so we need them to be ready. We need to be ready. In, in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about, the writer of Hebrews says, be careful lest you begin to drift away from what you've heard. Drifting is not something that happens all of a sudden. It's a gradual process. <laughs> A few years ago, my oldest son and I decided we would buy a boat together. What that means is I bought the boat. <laughs> and he took care of it. That worked well. <laughs> and the interesting thing is if you've never tried to board a small boat, you get in the boat before you untie it. Because if you untie it before you get in the boat, there's that vulnerable moment, vulnerable moment when you step off the pier and one leg's on the boat, what's going to happen? It's going to start drifting away. And if you, if you get in the boat, and you're, it, it'll begin to drift because it doesn't have a purpose and it doesn't have power directing it forward. And that's true of our lives. We can, we can know the truth, but we can begin to drift away from it if we lose touch with where the dock is. Where, this, where, where what solid is was once right next to us. We were tied to it. And now we've loosened the ties and we begin to drift away. And we can still see the dock. And by that we assume we can reach it whenever we want to. But there comes a point where it's hard to reach back and grab that dock. Unless some other power comes along and brings us back. So Jesus is telling them here. He's, he's telling them to be aware. So I want to begin this morning by just letting you know hell is real. Hell is real. You better know it's real. Jesus talked about it. We may not like to think about it, but we need to think about it because it's real and it is where many people are going to spend eternity. I look at it this way. It's the default position. You know what the default setting is? It's If you don't do anything, that's what it goes back to. And because man was born in sin, man was born in rebellion, it's in our genes, it's in our, physical, it's in our flesh genes, and it's in our heart until we're born again, until the change takes place. Our default position, as good as you might be, is, is hell is a default position. I read again this morning a sermon of John Wesley's that I've read before. It's, it's, it's an awakening sermon called Almost Saved. Almost. And he talks about so many people coming to church, I'm getting ahead of myself here, who have a mental agreement with what's going on. They sing the songs, they raise their hands, they do good deeds because they're good to do, but their heart hasn't changed. There hasn't been a change, a fundamental change in their heart. And so they think I'm okay because I'm doing good things. They think okay because I go to church. They think I'm okay because I look and talk and act like every other Christian. And therefore I'm okay. And that's close, but close doesn't count here. And we'll talk about that. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to get you to, you know, doubt your salvation. But we're doing, we need to do a check. We need, because the question is, are we ready? We're not talking about, you know, I like this church better than that church. We're not talking about, oh, you know, I, I, I want another job or, or, you know, either I'm tired of this wife, I want another wife. I'm not going there, but I'm saying, but that can be attitudes we have. We're talking about where you're going to spend eternity. The most important decision of this life and any other life is where you're going to spend 
eternity. And there are only two places the Bible tells us. There's heaven, the kingdom of God, and there's hell, which God prepared for demons to dwell in, never prepared it for man. But when man rebelled, that became his destiny because man's rebellion put his life into the hands of God's enemy. And it's up to us to choose. God's provided a way. And the Bible tells us what's required. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. Well, all right, you're telling me, Pastor, there's a heaven to be gained or a hell to shun? By the way, there's no middle place. There's no holding tank called purgatory. That's man's idea. It's another example of man doesn't like this choice, so he comes up with a third choice, and in that case, they came up with it for money. We've got to go with what the Bible... See, God knows what heaven's like. God knows what hell's like. God knows the requirement to go from one to the other. And because God is fair and honest and just and loving, He tells us what the requirement is. The problem is, we don't like it sometimes, so we try to massage it, change it, turn it into something else, and you can do that all you want, but there's coming a day that what you decided is required isn't going to count because you don't decide who gets in there. St. Peter's not sitting at the gate with all the jokes about that. And there's some funny ones. Jesus is the gatekeeper. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. And He tells us what the requirement is. Say, Pastor, you sound mad. I'm not angry. I'm talking about literally where people are going to spend eternity. And sometimes people say, I've heard people say, well, you know what, I'd, I'd rather go to hell because that's where all my friends is. We're going to have a party. No, we're going to see it's not a party. Remember when Jesus cast the demons out of the man of Gadara? They pled with him. They pled with him to not send them into the abyss. Send us in the... Now, if the demons don't want to go back into hell... <laughs> Think about that. The demons would, wouldn't want to go back into hell. This is serious stuff. But are we ready? Because that day's coming. And you can know. I see John, and I just think about this wonderful testimony of Francis and, and her homegoing. There was no fear involved. There was faith and love and joy because there was an assurance in her heart. Not because she'd been coming to church because she hadn't been able to come for quite a while. Not because she'd been served here for so long as a, as a greeter. Not because of things, because she knew Jesus. She knew Jesus. And the last time I talked to her face-to-face -face was, was at, a, at an event we had at Christmas time. And she was there, and I could tell her love for Jesus, that she knew Him in her heart. And so she was ready. And as I shared at the, at the eulogy uh, Tuesday, you can't fake that. You can fake it today. Oh, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. But when you're facing that moment, you can't fake it. Because we know, now we have an instinct, there's something over there, and I don't know what it is, but I, I either know I'm ready or I don't know I'm ready. And so God wants us to know we're ready. He wants us to know we're ready. And we're going to see this is not a matter of what you do. It's a heart thing. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Praise God. Okay. So there's a heaven which is real, and there's a hell which is real. Now let's go to 2 Thessalonians. I want to just... You don't hear much about this anymore. We hear God wants to bless you, which is true. We hear all kinds of things. But we're talking about the gospel this morning. It was here this morning. Second Thessalonians 1. So we'll start in verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. God's going to get back at the people that get at you. <laughs> well, let's read on. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. 
we're in an age, a time, when the church is hearing an awful lot about grace. And we've needed to because in the generations before, we heard a lot about holiness, which is godly, but it became a law. And so, so many Christians today are trying to serve God out of an obligation of the law, which is, doesn't, which is not grace. But there's a balance to things. What you need to understand is that we live in an age of grace. And I look at grace in the timeline of, 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 life, of, of this earth as a parenthesis. A parenthesis. There was a time in the Old Testament when there was not grace the way it is now. There was a measure of grace. But we're in an age where there's grace, an age of grace. And therefore we assume because it's an age of grace we can get away with what we want to, but because there's a parenthesis, there's a point where we're coming up against that parenthesis, and when you get beyond the parenthesis, there's not grace. God is a God of love, God is a God of justice, God is a God of love, God is a God of grace, He is tender, He's loving, all the things we've heard and we need to hear. But He's also a God of righteousness and holiness. And the Bible says it's a fearsome thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Well, is God going to get angry at me? Not if, not if, I'm, not if I'm loving Him and responding to Him and respecting Him. It's not always that, well, am I loving Him enough? It's not a question of that. This is why I've hesitated to get into this. But how much is enough? It's in your heart towards Him. And I don't want to get into that this morning. But the beginning is, am I ready? And we need to examine our hearts. There's a time when His his righteous judgment is coming on those who turn their back on Him. Romans 1 talks about this. It talks about, you know, although they should have known there's a God, because in nature you can tell there's a God, they've chosen to reject truth so that they can walk in darkness. We're living in a world that's just a brilliant example of that. It's man and his ultimate of his folly. It's man trying to understand reality apart from God. And you can't. All right, I need to move on. I need to move on. Begin to sew you back up again. All right, so what, what what does the Bible tell us? What does it tell us that's required? Let's go to John chapter 3. Now we can say, I love Pastor John. Okay, I knew that was going to come. <laughs> the truth in love. Famous verses. John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said, And most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see, that means enter into the kingdom of God, heaven. So Jesus is saying the requirement for entering heaven is you must be born again. And if you've been here for more than a week or two, you know that. But we're going to look at what that means. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his, man, into his mother's womb and be born? So he's thinking in terms of natural terms. How can I have a physical birth again? Since I'm older, I can't get back in my mother's womb. She's probably not still around. So Jesus is going to bring him over to talk to him about the spirit side of this, which is what he's talking about. Jesus is answering and said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's the physical, or the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now stop there a second. What Jesus is saying here is there has to be a fundamental change that takes place inside of you. It's not a change that takes place to your body because it's not an issue of your body. It's a change that takes place down in your nature of who you are. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about this by talking about that once we... He's talking to Christians, Ephesians. He said, "We, we were once living according to the way the sons of disobedience did and were by nature children of wrath. See, God just doesn't have a... God's not moody. God doesn't say, today I love you, and tomorrow you better watch out, I may get mad. The anger of God is against rebellion. It's against rebellion. It's, not, it's rejecting the incredible gift that He's given to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the most precious gift that can be given. He's the most precious, the Father's only begotten Son. And He gave Him as a free gift of grace to the whole world. And He suffered. He took the, he, 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 he changed places with you. 
You and I were owned by Satan. Our soul was owned by him. Why? Because he had a legal claim on us because of our pride and our rebellion. And if you didn't think you had any, you still have it. Because of our sin. And sin isn't so much the things we do, that's the fruit of the sin. The root of it is in the heart. I don't need God. I can do this myself. God, I know you're there, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm a self-made man. That's rebellion because what it's trying to do is I'm trying to establish my own kingdom independently of God where I'm king and I may include God in it because I may need Him, but I'm king here. That's rebellion. That's rebellion. And that's why Satan owned us. He owned your soul. He owned my soul. And Jesus came and took my place in His grasp. That I might be free and live apart from Him. But not so that I can go off and do what I want to do. So that I can, out of love, serve Him and serve my Father and honor Him and worship Him from the heart. And God paid such a precious price so we could be free. And we, somebody rejects that. Rejects that. If you begin to let that into your heart, I'm going to share a short testimony. This may take more than one Sunday. I'm going to share a short testimony of my own life from a few weeks ago. <laughs> we came home from vacation the day of the Super Bowl. Remember the Super Bowl? Okay. Yeah, quickly, we, it starts fading away. <laughs> and and I, uh, I don't want to get into the deep. I don't, I don't watch the Super Bowl when the Patriots are playing. Because uh, I'm a Patriots fan, but I won't sleep for two days, whether they win or lose. And I can't let my heart, they get into my heart that much, where it has so much of my heart that I can't go to sleep. So I purposely didn't watch it. When I got up in the morning, I didn't turn, I turned my phone off so when my kids text me, I wouldn't hear it. I got up in the morning and before I went to check it out, I wanted to spend my devotion time. I wanted to keep my heart's priority right. And I spent my devotion time with the Lord and then when it was over, I turned my phone on and I got a text from my oldest son saying we did it. And I just then I started, and then what I did is spent the rest of the day watching ESPN. Over and over and over and over and over and over. I sat there and just let it all in me. And I went to bed and feeling terrible. And I woke up the next morning and I said, God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And my mind started to get into legalism. Well, you, you know, you wasted your day and all that stuff which would have separated my heart from God. I would have pulled away from Him. But I'm growing, and I said, Lord, I know you'll forgive me, but help me. And all of a sudden, I could see and hear a little bit of what it cost Him for me to be free. And I saw that He paid that price so that I could be free and spend my time in honor in, in with my heart connected to God and I let back in this stuff. I let it back in. And it broke my heart. So what's happened is instead of some law saying you can't watch that or you're a bad person because it broke my heart because I took something precious that he'd given me and I wasted, oh, it was one, just one day, but I wasted it. Didn't King David say when he was presented with his sin, I've sinned against my God. See, that's the difference. It's your heart towards Him. How did I get off on all that? Where was I? Okay. Oh, the change of heart. The change of heart. And it's something that's growing in me. So it's not... But okay, I don't want to get off on that subject. Okay. Birth. 
signals the beginning of something. A birth signals a change. We've had four children. Each of them were born. You can write that down. That's a family secret. But <clears throat> each of them were born. They weren't here before. And I remember with our daughter when she was born. With Chris, I couldn't... It was back at a time <clears throat> when I couldn't be in the delivery room. But when Emily, our daughter, was born, the next was born, I was able to be there. And I wasn't, we weren't saved. And I'll never forget. She's born and she comes out and the doctor holds her and I'm looking at her and the thought hits me. I, remember, I know about the medical center. Two of us came in the room and there are three of us here now. And all I could say is, how can you not believe there's a God? I just saw life come forward. Now I know she was conceived earlier, but I just saw that life, brand new life. Why do we get so excited around a baby? Because it's new. It's, it's brand new. It's, there's all potential. There's no history to it. It's brand new. It's fresh. And Jesus is saying, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, that kind of thing has to happen inside of you. And you can't do it yourself. It's got to come from above. Just as Emily and Chris and our twin boys, Matthew, they couldn't birth themselves. There was the life conceived in them. A fundamental change. You must be born again. Let's go down to verse 14. <clears throat> Jesus is going on to explain that. He says, As Moses was lifted up in the serpent in the will in lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, <clears throat> that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Well, that's right. We're celebrating the Lord's table together. I've got to move along. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't want to condemn the world. God doesn't want to condemn God doesn't want to judge and be angry. He doesn't want to send anybody to hell. That's why He sent His Son into the world, that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe in Him already, because He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love, notice of the heart, love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Let's go to verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God shall abide upon him. Now let's go over to Romans 10. We're going to look at the same thing from a different perspective. A lot of scripture this morning. Familiar scripture. Verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you shall be saved. We're talking about what is the standard? What is required to get into heaven? Jesus says you must be born again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, notice it's and. It's not a war. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart, there's the heart again, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes, there it is a believer, on him, will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich, excuse me, to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does all that mean? Notice throughout that, there's two or several key words. Believe and heart. Yes. Now we just looked at you shall confess with your mouth. And here's the concern. We've reduced this to a formula. Well, if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. You're Lord. And if I believe in my heart, I believe that He, that he raised from the dead, I'll be saved. Whoever believes, well, I believe in Him. That's why I'm in church. But let's look at what that word believe means. It's not an intellectual belief. Because you can believe things with your mind. But he never talks about the mind in here. What does he talk about? The, the what? The heart. 
How many of you have a heart? <laughs> well, we've got to pray for a bunch of you. <laughs> it's believing with the heart. Why do you think Solomon says in Proverbs, above all things, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. Earlier in one scripture we're going to look at, Jesus said it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, it's what's come out of him. Why? Because it's coming out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the change must take place in our heart. By the word, the word, the word confess, because where we're trained to think it means, you know, confessing your sins. The word actually means to adopt as your own. In, this, in the English, one of the definitions in, in the unabridged dictionary is to adopt something as your own. If you stop and think about it, if you've done something wrong and you, and you confess it, you've adopted it as your own. Yeah, yeah I, I did it. In the Greek word that's behind this is homologia, which literally means to say the same thing as. To be in agreement, to say the same thing as. So when we confess Jesus as Lord, we're saying the same thing about Him God said about Him. God says He's Lord. He's given a name above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth, and every tongue shall declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God says He is Lord, and when we confess Him as Lord, we're speaking in agreement with Him out of our heart. Not theologically, out of our heart. And believe with our heart. So belief involves more than just agreeing with. And what John Wesley goes on to talk about in that sermon is he talks about a thing called about mental assent. Mental belief. You can come to church and with your mind believe that Jesus is Lord. You can come to church and with your mind believe in Christ. But it's what you believe in your heart that makes the difference. And you can believe one thing in here and go back out and forget it. But if you believe something in your heart, that's what's going to begin to come out of you eventually. Everybody okay? Alright, most of you are. Let's go on. So, to believe, let's talk about what that means. It, means, it comes from a Greek word, pastuo, which means to put your trust in. To put your faith in. To depend upon. To rely upon. So what does it mean? What does it mean to get into heaven? Instead of relying on what you do to stand before God, you rely in your heart, not your head, in your heart on what God's done for you in Christ. It's much easier to do that with your head than it is with your heart. Because the Bible goes on to explain to us when we've made that change in our heart, it begins to show up somewhere. If you're trusting in Christ, if you're trusting in what God has done for us in Christ with your heart, you'll begin to rest. Now this is not an all or nothing thing where you flip a switch. In Hebrews, right, the writer of Hebrews says in, in I think it's chapter 4, that we're to labor to enter into that rest. And I've told you before, He's talking about the rest that God entered into when He finished creation. And God didn't rest at the end of creation because He was tired. So this is not a rest because you're tired. He rested because the work was done. There was no more work to do. And when Jesus spoke those last words on the cross, He said, it's finished. That means from God's perspective, the work's done. And we're to enter into that rest to cease from our own striving to be something, our own striving to measure up, our own striving to do that so that we measure up to God. That's still relying on myself. And grace is relying completely on what God's done. But if we've done that, there'll begin to be things, fruit show up in our lives. Awful quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. But it's truth. Matthew 7. I'm just going to, I may not, this is, well, I'm going to start it. <laughs> Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I thought we could just confess Him as Lord. Well, confess, yes. Say. Notice He says, not everyone to me who says to me, Lord. Paul said you must confess Him as Lord. To confess Him as Lord is to accept Him in your heart as Lord over your heart. Not just as Savior. Lord means authority. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, that's the day we're talking about, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders? In other words, have we not done wonderful things for you in your name? I believe there's churches out there right now. I believe there's ministries out there right now that are doing wonderful things in His name, but they're not doing what He's talking about. Verse 23, Then I will declare to them who called Him Lord, did wonderful things in His name, I never knew you. Depart from me, look at this, you who practice lawlessness. We saw that word earlier. What is lawlessness? I do what I want to do. I'm the final authority. We can do that with the things of God. We can get principles out of the Bible and say, Jesus, these are good things to do. We need to be doing this. We need to be doing this. And Lord, bless what I'm doing because this is a good thing I'm doing for you and I'm expecting a great word because I'm doing a good thing for you. I'm doing a good thing for you. I'm doing a good thing for you. And Jesus said, I don't care you call me Lord. I don't care that you did it for me. You didn't do my Father's will. Depart from me because you practice, you do what you want, even though they're good things. Lawlessness. Jesus explained how he walked with the Father this way. He said, I only do, I only do what I see my Father doing, and I only say what I hear my Father say. In other words, I've come only to do His will. When we were in Florida a couple weeks ago, I shared with you God spoke something to me and answered a question. And I'll end with this. And we we'll, may pick up here next time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, our verse is so well known and popular is verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And all those new things are of God. We're new creatures in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. But before that, it says, if Christ died for all, then all died. So that they who live should no longer live their lives for themselves, but for Him who died for them. We need to come to the place where the purpose of our life is no longer to make a living, to get to retirement, to raise children. Those are in there, but that's not the purpose of my life. The purpose of my life is to do His will. And this is not a one-time thing where you say, well, I'm going to do His will today, but I may not do His will tomorrow. That's lawlessness. I'm going to make a commitment that the purpose of my life is to do His will. My life belongs to you. It's no longer mine. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, learn all about me, study me, be able to quote scriptures, have verses on your, on your refrigerator, bumper stickers on your car. No. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And Luke, I think it says daily. It's a place of death, not to what I enjoy, but to the purpose of my life. So we'll come back to this. Are you ready? Are you ready? For some of us, it's a matter of, okay, I mean, I know I know him. I, and it's a, it's a commitment you make. It's a process of learning how to live it out, but it starts with a commitment from which you won't turn back. Just as 50 years ago this coming July, we made a commitment to each other. 
And there are days it doesn't feel like it. There are times I didn't think it was going to work, and she didn't either. But because we made a commitment, we're still here together and closer than we've ever been before. Is that right? Okay, just want to make sure. (laughs) We have to end this because we're going to share the Lord's table together. But I have to end it this way. What we're talking about this morning. Are you ready? No, don't answer. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because He's coming. And if you go before He's coming, are you ready for that? Because you're going to find out then whether you are ready or not. And I'm not talking about believers right now. I'm talking to people that you've never received Christ. You have been coming here for years. You may think, well, I'm, I come to church. I was, you know, a good person. I pay my tithes. I bless people. And that's wonderful. But if you've never given your life to Christ, you've rejected the gift that God paid so dearly to save your soul. And you still have time to do something about that. If that's you, God wants you to know for sure. And John says that we might know. God wants you to know. I'm not perfect, but I know in my heart because I know I know Him. Do you know Him this morning? Or you've just been believing with your head the most important decision you'll ever make? Here's what I want to do. If that's you, if that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. And I want to pray for you. Because I can lead you in a prayer by which, if you'll mean it with your heart, that's all you can do, just what I talked about, you will make this change of kingdoms this morning. But I need you to let me know by raising your hand. There have to be people in here. Thank you. Put your hand down. There have to be people in here. If there, you have to be people in here. What are you going to tell him when you stand before him? Do I know you? I'm going to give another invitation because I'm going to keep that one up. You may put your hand down. You say, I've, I've done this before, but I'm not, I'm not walking with him anymore. There was a time I walked with him, but I'm not there anymore. I've got good news for you. He still loves you. He's not angry at you. But you've got to take a step towards him. He's going to put his arms around you this morning, clean you up and set you back on your walk with him. But he's waiting for you to take your step of faith. If that's you, I want to pray for you.